to Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer a heretic. I'm your host, Matthew J. DiStefano, and for the next hour, I'll be your Sherpa to nowhere in particular. Nowhere in particular. you cool cats and kittens it's time for another episode the second one that i'm doing on this shitty little show that i've got here i'm excited to uh talk to you all today as promised i am going to give you my deconstructing i've got the mush mouth my deconstruction story people have asked for it in the past if i had it in one place i've had bits and pieces of it everywhere i think everyone on every show i've ever been on has asked what was your journey like and we asked the uh the same question on heretic happy hour so it's a common one people want to know the context of where people are coming from people want to hear their story i think people want to know that when they're deconstructing shit that they're not alone because it does feel like you are a lone soul out in the desert out in the swamps of the bayou, whatever analogy you want to use, it feels sometimes, most of the time, all the time, that you're alone, that, you're, uh, that you've gone mental. But you're not. You're not alone. Other people have gone on this journey of faith and losing faith and finding faith again. And it doesn't look the same for everyone. It doesn't even feel the same for everyone, although a lot of things are similar And a lot of people have the same experiences or similar experiences, enough so um, that things resonate and then you don't feel so alone. And so that's what what the book Michelle Collins and I are writing uh, is centered around. It's called Learning to Float. It'll be out probably sometime in 2021. Um, That's that's the goal of the book. It's not a how-to. It's not a here's how you deconstruct, here's what's going to happen. It's just my story. And it's something where people can go, oh, okay, yeah, I, I feel like I felt that. I feel like that was true for me too, even though the details are, are different. Um, so that, that's, the whole, uh, that's the whole purpose of that. And that'll be the whole purpose of, uh, of this show and this episode in particular. So before I get into it, I just want to say that shows like this are able to be produced because of the wonderful, wonderful people who support on places like Patreon, those who buy books, and and things like that. My philosophy is that I'm going to do as much shit as I can for free because, well, that's just just the way I think it should be done. I I think that I, I would like to create as much content that it will be widely available for people who don't have money, for people who can't afford stuff. Um, I want to make as much stuff free that I can. This show be, being one of them. Uh, Heretic Happy Hour being one of them. Bonfire Sessions being one of them. Uh, my blog that was on Pathios, one of them. Um, I've got free PDF books that you get if you ask for it. Um, but it's only... A, I'm only able to do that because there are people who do resonate with my work who are able to financially support me. So a big, huge shout out to everyone who supports me on Patreon. I consider them producers of everything I do. 
It's patreon.com MJ DiStefano if you want to be one of those producers. So huge shout out to everyone on there. Uh, I couldn't do all this kind of stuff uh, for free without you all. So again, if you want to support my work, you go to patreon.com slash MJ DiStefano. You can sign up for even a dollar a month and that helps bigly. That helps bigly. Yeah, so just want to get that out of the way. If you can't support, that's good. That's fine too. I'm going to continue to give free stuff. It's not quid pro quo. It's me giving away free shit. If it resonates with you, please give back. And that's the best way to do it is to financially support uh, the work. So with that being said, drum roll please. Let's get into it. What? Where did I come from? How did I get here? How did I end up being such an asshole, apostate, hellbound, heathen, reprobate, backslidden, former Christian, piece of shit that is one with the devil, a wolf in sheep's clothing, my favorite, a professor of word vomit? <laughs> yes, I've been called that. Check out my book, Heretic. It's on there. Um, how did I get here? Well, it's a long winding journey and it's probably sounds similar to a lot of people who have gone through the path of deconstruction. As if it's one path, it's not, but it's, you know, the paths look similar, like I said. Uh, I started out in the left-behind, dispensationalist, inerrant Bible, uh, everyone except for the Christians are going to hell, sort of evangelicalism. American evangelicalism, loosely speaking. Um, of the Arminian variety, meaning if you go to hell, you you can either choose Jesus or you could choose not Jesus. My parents weren't quite fundamentalists. They were and still do have an open mind to some degree, I think. Uh, my mom and my stepdad, I don't know my dad. He's a piece of shit. Uh, he walked out of my life a long time ago. Fuck that guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kind of fuck him, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Um, no, I, I don't know him. Uh, but my mom and my stepdad, they have they raised me. My grandparents helped raise me. Um, a little bit of a uh, tumultuous upbringing in that way. My my grandparents on my mom's side, they're both now uh, deceased, sadly. Uh, but they were a huge influence and, and a um, kind of a a rock. They they were stability when there wasn't stability. But my my parents were somewhat open minded. My churches, however, especially once I got to be a teenager. Uh, we joined a Christian and Missionary Alliance church that taught all that same kind of stuff. Dispensationalism, rapture, uh, seven years of tribulation if you don't make the cut. And I don't know. I don't know. I didn't think I was going to make the cut for whatever reason. There were all those scary Bible verses. Uh, Lord, Lord, I never knew you. There was the unpardonable sin. There was anyone who calls his brother Raka or fool is in danger of hellfire. There was never assurance, is what I'm trying to say. Even though I was a Christian, even though I prayed the prayer, even though I read my Bible to some degree, uh, there, there was always the scary passages. And for some reason, pastors like to, I don't know, they like to guilt you into that kind of shit. They like to remind you about that kind of stuff. I think so you start tithing more and so you start showing up to church events more. But 
maybe that's just the cynic in me. <laughs> I could be cynical sometimes. I just can't help but think, well, sometimes when the when the coffers aren't as full, we got to make sure we give them some of that fire and brimstone. We got to put the fear of God in them. We got to make sure they're showing up and tithing. And my church tithed before and after. Well, they didn't call it a tithe. They called it an offering. A peace offering. <laughs> they called it an offering. You had to do that shit after an emotional song and then after an emotional song at the end. They got you twice. Double tap. Like Genghis Khan rolling through town. And I, I just can't help but think that they did those. They, they, they did the sermons on those passages when they wanted some money. But I, but I don't know. Either way, those passages scared the shit out of me and others. I was always afraid that I would show up to my parents and their clothes would be gone or my parents wouldn't be where I thought they'd be and I'd be like, uh-oh. Yep, it happened. Jesus snatched them up in the blink in the twinkling of an eye and they're up in heaven now and I'm left down here to figure out the next seven years of shit that's going to come. And I didn't like that, needless to say. I didn't like that my grandparents weren't really Christians and I was always terrified that they were going to go to hell. I had terrible nightmares about that even. I had dreams about like fucking demonic, creepy, golem-like creatures uh, chasing me. My grandfather and I were in battles together, Armageddon-type battles. It was, it was a, um, it was a traumatic time. It was a, um. It was a yoke that wasn't easy, as the promise is in the Gospels. Jesus' is, Jesus is, is, Jesus yoke was supposed to be easy, his burden light, and it was none such, it was none of that stuff. It was not that. It was very burdensome. Probably because I said fuck. I looked at porn. Uh, I did things that kids do, that teenagers do, you know? I had dirty thoughts, and even if I prayed, those dirty thoughts wouldn't go away. So I kept coming back to the same old sin well and taking a little sip because I was thirsty. And so you're always kind of feeling as if you're a dirty sinner. There's always shame. There's always guilt. There's always fear. You're not getting over anything. You're trying to read your Bible, but you're you just you read it for a couple of weeks and then you fall off again for the seven thousandth time that you promised. I'm gonna get down to it this time. Oh, it's gonna stick this time. Oh, I'm gonna make sure this time. And it just doesn't happen. And then furthermore, I was always a questioning kid and a questioning adult, as if you haven't figured that out by now. And so I like to ask these deep questions. I like to ask the deep questions. Are we sure the Bible says what we think it says? Are we sure that God is cool with slavery? Are we sure that it's okay that there were slaves in the Bible, even though the Israelites treated them better? That was always the answer I got. Are we sure people go to hell forever? Like, why would, why, why is it okay for people to go to hell? How is that justice? How is, how is it okay that that God made such a place, even if people send themselves there. Why would God do that? Why was my grandfather going to go to hell? You know, my dad, who I mentioned earlier, 
who was a piece of shit. He was an evangelical Christian. I come to find out he didn't even believe in dinosaurs, but I think that's going to be a topic for a different episode because I've heard of this and I guess he didn't believe in dinosaurs. And I know some people who don't believe in dinosaurs. They think it's a hoax, but he was a good evangelical Christian and he wasn't there for me. And he even blames me to this day for our lack of a relationship. I guess, I guess you have the power of, you're, you're very powerful when you're a five-year-old. To, you're so powerful you can get your dad to leave. But, you know, he was a good evangelical Christian. He's heaven-bound because he gave his heart to the Lord. And my grandfather, who was fairly agnostic, raised Catholic, never really gave two shits about it. Uh, probably believed in God, but was not a born-again Christian. Was not a brother in the Lord. Uh, was apparently going to go to hell. Because that's that's what our theology says. And that, that didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense. That, that didn't seem like justice. That didn't seem right. It didn't seem good. It did, it's not how we would do things. Even as human beings. Even as flawed, fucked up human beings. That... Someone who's good for all intents and purposes could go to hell because they didn't pick the right thing. They didn't pick the right savior. And someone who is kind of fucked up and is a deadbeat dad and wasn't there for his kids and blamed them for everything was good to go and would spend eternity in pure bliss just because he picked the right team. Picked the winning team. Team Jesus. Hashtag Team Jesus. That just didn't seem right to me. And that didn't seem right to me from a young age all the way through my teenage years and my early adulthood. And that wasn't the only thing that didn't seem right to me. I saw things in the church that just did not seem right. Pastors and church congregates seemed just as fucked up as everyone. And which is fine. It's totally fine. And Christians would admit this. They would say things like, and rightfully say things like, church is not a place where you should expect to find perfect people. Fine. But my problem was, is that church people seem to be some of the most judgmental, hypocritical people out there and acted as if their shit didn't stink. When I knew my shit stunk, it seemed like people, at least what they projected was that their shit didn't stink. So, for instance, the sin of gossip was never emphasized in church. The sin of don't be gay was emphasized in church. Now, what's more harmful, being gay or gossiping? I mean, even, even back then, before I totally affirmed gay people, when I was in the... the in, you know, evangelical Christianity, and I was told I had to denounce their sin, I even thought like, well, what they're doing doesn't seem like it's harming anybody. Why are we so focused on that, but not focused on prayers that were really just gossip? We would just sit there and talk shit about people under the false pretense that it was praying we're gonna pray for peggy i don't know why i'm always in the south when i'm mocking christians we gotta pray for peggy sue i never knew a peggy sue <laughs> we gotta pray for cletus cletus give your heart to the lord 
But we, we, we do this. We do this, right? We've probably all experienced that. I have a prayer request for my brother who is a raging alcoholic. And, and then you just go and gossip. It's just a way to gossip, right? Um, I, had, I had pastors who would tell me that it's a sin to smoke weed, but then post on social media how many Vicodin they took after surgery. They brag about it almost. And I'm like, wait, hold on. I thought drugs were bad. Oh, but the drugs you take for a certain thing are fine, but the drugs that other people take for other things and other reasons aren't valid because whatever they're thinking, X, Y, Z, X, Y, and Z. Or the sin of violence, the gun culture in Christianity, the sin of retribution, the sin of warmongering, the sin of a racist drug war, like all these things that I was concerned about, even when I was a Christian, even when I was in that world, didn't seem to be that much of a concern for other Christians to the degree that, you know, basically don't fuck, don't be gay, don't smoke, don't smoke weed, all this kind of stuff. It just didn't add up. It was like, what's the point of all this? So we can go to heaven? It just doesn't, it didn't, it didn't make sense to me. And then there was the whole business of God as violent. And this was like the straw that broke the camel's back. It was probably more than a straw. It was like a whole bale. In my 20s, I got really into philosophy, asking philosophical questions, existential questions, ethical and moral questions about my relation to God, God's relation to us, and all of our relation to each other and the universe and the world and society and all that, all the big questions of life. And I looked around and thought, we are so fucked up and we're so violent towards each other. How is it okay that God is also like this? And if God is truly violent and truly like us and truly retributive and truly demands blood and sacrifice, and if the cross of Jesus was there to spare us from the wrath of his father, himself, whatever you want to put it, we do not need God any longer. I don't need him. I don't want to talk to him. Pride doesn't even exist. It made no sense to me that God, the way that Christianity was describing God, at least in my world at that time, was just like us, except bigger and badder and probably even meaner. Because I saw atonement, for instance, as divine child abuse. And many of my interlocutors within Christianity did not. And they would always justify it and always explain it away as if it wasn't. But, I mean, when you watch The Passion of the Christ and you see this dude getting his ass kicked for basically two fucking hours, it's pretty gruesome, pretty brutal. And that apparently was what God needed. And I just could not... I could not do anything with that. No matter even if you explain it in the best of ways. Even if Carl Bart was sitting here and explaining it in the most robust way, I'd be like, dude, this is not makes any sense to me. That type of atonement theory does not make any sense and it, it does no good for me. Not to mention all the other things in the Bible that it says God does. And it's okay, apparently, because God did it. So it's this whole divine command theory. Where it's moral and good 
because God did it, regardless of whether we would call it good if we did it. So if we commit genocide, bad. If God commands genocide, good. And that was preposterous to me. And I know a lot of great philosophers and great thinkers like William Lane Craig, I say great because he's very, very smart, would say that would justify it. But I think it's bullshit. And I have no experiential knowledge of something like that. I think you're taking a view of the Bible and the view of the scriptures that you would not take unless you had to have that view of the scriptures and not in order to not have some existential crisis in your life. I, I could not affirm that. So I did go the path of atheism for a while in my 20s because when folks like Hitchens and folks like Dawkins were arguing with these theists who were arguing for a God like this, I kept saying to myself, well, God damn it, the atheist won again. And it's not as if I was like stoked about it. It was more like a damned if I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. I didn't want the theist arguing for this monster God to be right. And I didn't want the atheist without a God to be right. But at least the, when the atheist was right and I concluded all those things, at least there wasn't a monster God who was going to squash me like a bug when it's all said and done. And so there was some sort of relief from that. I had to become an atheist for a time. I had to become a very, I'd say, borderline atheist agnostic type. I was never strong atheist. It just seemed like, well, there's no evidence that God exists, and there's no evidence that this God would even be good, and it's not doing anything for me, and so therefore, I'm going to act as if there is no God, regardless of if there is or not, because it doesn't seem to be helping my life at all. So I, I lived in that world for a while intellectually, and I, and I feel like I had to live in this world. And I spoke about that with Jeff Turner on his podcast, and he talks about it in his book, The Atheistic Theist, about how you have to become an atheist to your God for a time. And what I take that to mean is you have to become an atheist to your theology so that you can meet God for the first time. Because looking back on things, I'm no longer an atheist. And what I was an atheist to was really, really shitty theology. Fire and brimstone, that type of shit. And even the more subtler forms of bullshit. The divine command theory stuff, the inerrant Bible stuff, the end time stuff, the hell stuff, the wrathful atonement stuff. I had to become an atheist to that which was given to me because I never formed those views on my own. They were handed to me. They were given to me long before I could think about things critically, long before I could put together an argument of why I believed what I believed, long before I could even begin to exegete the Bible, long before I knew what the word hermeneutic was. <laughs> and, and I think all of us have to do something like that. We all have to become an atheist to the God that we believe in because otherwise we are so set up to create a straw man, to create an idol, to create a God that is nothing more than our insecurities manifested in the real world. 
And I think that's what most of Christian theology seems to be. At least the, the Christian theology many of us came from. Now, I will say there are great theologians who have theology that is closer to what God is really like, and not all of it is bullshit. But I think those theologians who do have a more robust theology came from a place and can recognize that straw man theology that we're all talking about. The theology that says God's demand sacrifice, for instance. That's what every God says throughout the eons. That's what all the pantheon of gods say. So if the Christian God, if it's truly true, if it's going to be set apart, if that God is going to be set apart from all the gods, then we have to think of sacrifice in a different way. That's one instance. The gods of wrath, the gods of quid pro quo. If you give, then you'll get. The gods who must must punish in order to get some sort of result. These are all so basic. They basic bitches. These gods are basic bitches. This is what every archaic fundamentalist religion, old time religion, says about the gods. And those of us who have grown up in that and have moved away from that recognize it and recognize when people are trapped in that. And so I, I eventually got out. I broke free, free at last, free at last. And then I and then I was able to meet God on on God's own terms, stripped away from my theology. I, I feel like I mean I feel like God's there the whole time. You just have blinders on. You don't you don't hear her voice. Which is the voice of peace, the voice of love, the voice of reconciliation, the voice of no wrath, the voice of only forgiveness, the voice of only mercy, not attached to some quid pro quo. And then you're like, ah, I've been lied to this whole time, goddammit. And you feel lied to. You do. I, I, I did feel lied to. I did feel lied to. But then you realize it's not really lies. It's people's own ignorance and insecurities just being spoken of with authority and conviction. But they don't know, but they don't really know what the fuck they're talking about. And that's mostly what theology is. <laughs> it's mostly people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And I sure didn't know what I was talking about. That's why I asked all these questions to pastors and to my interlocutors, my colleagues. And I should have just realized these people don't know what the fuck they're talking about because no one's taking it seriously. I think you just want to be in a club. You just want to be in a social club. And you want to date Jesus. You want Jesus to be your boyfriend. So you can go to heaven when you die. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise Jebus. So if that's where you're at, uh, you know, I feel you. I feel for you. I think I think uh, this path of deconstruction is is a rough one. And we need each other. And I would have never gotten out of it. I would have never gotten to a place of any sort of comfort without others without people who have wrestled with these questions before me. Theologians and philosophers and great thinkers, Girard, 
Thomas Talbot. Going back further, Teresa of Avila, great Buddhist writers, mystics, Alan Watts, Richard Rohr, people I, I became friends with, Michael Hardin, people at the Raven Foundation, Adam Erickson, Lindsay Press Lopez. You know, we have to do it together. We have to ask these questions with people who are really wrestling with these questions, with these answers, with what they've been told uh, growing up and in the church. And that's why I do this show. That's why uh, we're, me and Michelle are writing that book, Learning to Float. Because there's a, there's a path to destruction. I mean, path to destruction. There is a path to destruction. It's called religion. There's a path of deconstruction and there, there's a path of reconstruction. And it's not linear. What I've learned is that you're always deconstructing and reconstructing. It seems linear at times. It seems like you bust out the sledgehammer at first. And then you get the more fine details carved in. And that seems true. That seemed true to me. It seems true to other people that I talk to. But it's not necessarily a linear sort of thing. And you're kind of always one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back. You're always meeting new people, listening to new perspectives. And what I've learned is it's a very important to just allow yourself to kind of float with the wind to go where the ideas are to not tie yourself up to your belief or your systems or your doctrines and your dogmas that's why we talk that's why we named the book learning to float because a lot of times you're not going anywhere you're just learning to manage the clusterfuck <laughs> that is spiritual life. You don't actually have like a destination. You're learning to float. And and it, it, it requires stillness. It requires not moving about the water. Alan Watts makes the analogy that in order to clear the water, you don't move the particles that have been kicked up in it. You don't move the debris. You are still... And the particles settle, and then the water is clear. And that's kind of what we have to do in our deconstruction, in our faith journeys. There's going to be times when you are kicking and flailing about, where you're shaking your fist at the sky. Lord knows I was there many times. Lord knows I'm still there sometimes. What the fuck is a prayer I often pray? <laughs> and, I, and I bet you have too. And, and there are times for that. But I think the real work is done when you're able to be still. When you're able to take a step back and look at the situation objectively. When you're able to breathe and relax and realize you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be certain. You don't need clarity all the time. It's okay to not be okay. We say that phrase a lot in learning to float. It's okay to not be okay. And in the church, we need more people who are okay with not being okay and okay with other people who are not okay. 
Fuck a culture of fine. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. How you doing today? Fine. Are you really? It's okay to not be fine. We don't have to have all the answers and we don't have to put on our Sunday best. And 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 the church, I think, would be in a much more healthy position and state if it realized this. Like, put on your real self, be vulnerable, be okay with not being okay, be okay with things being messy. Spirituality is messy. Shout out to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Because spirituality is messy. A walk with Jesus is messy. A walk as a bodhisattva is messy. Any sort of mysticism is messy. Because everything belongs. Messiness belongs. Not for nothing, but maybe even suffering belongs in some way because suffering does happen. The Buddhists, the Four Noble Truths, are all about suffering. Suffering exists. There's a cause to suffering. There's a way out of suffering. And then there's an end to suffering. So shit is messy. The world is messy. And the church needs to embrace that. If the church wants to be relevant. I don't think the church has any uh, relevancy these days. Okay, there's some. But very little. And few and far between. I'm sure there's good pastors out there. I know some on Facebook. And if Keith was here, he would mention his house church. <laughs> and everyone would have to take a shot. But there's good there's good people in the church. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny that. There's the Brad Jerzaks of the world. Uh and, you know, Keith's man crush, David Bentley Hart, is a part of the Eastern Orthodox tradition. So and he's the smartest dude in the fucking world. So hey, there's good stuff in the church. But for the most part, white, American, Protestant, evangelical, fundamentalist, all that kind of stuff, got to go. Hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. It's got to go. And the quicker, the better. Yeah, giddy up. The quicker, the better. But that's just that's just based on my experiences maybe you've had better experiences whatever works for you in bringing more peace and joy and all the fruit of the spirit that paul talks about all that good shit whatever works for you if it works for you stick with it if it ain't broke don't fix it but if it's broke and it's broken for a lot of people you gotta you gotta get down get down to it and uh put in the work and and fix it so I, I'm sure I've got some holes in my plot, my plot line here on my deconstruction story. I just wanted to give you the quick highlights. I don't think all the all the jots and tittles are necessarily needed in an episode like this. And that's why we wrote that's why we wrote the book we're writing. And I think it'll be one of the most timely books I write or am a part of writing simply because of how many people are, quote-unquote, deconstructing their faith. And they're not looking for answers. They're not looking for a pattern. They're looking for someone who they can resonate with. And they can say, yeah, me too, man. I feel that. I feel you there. 
I don't know that experience precisely, but I know the pain behind it, and I know the I know the emotion behind it. So that that's that's where you can get more of uh, the nitty gritty, more of the details of my life. But I just want people to know the context from which I am coming, because that is important. It is important to know people and to see people as human beings and not just uh, another asshole on social media talking shit or writing books or doing whatever. So I think I'm going to keep it a little bit shorter than an hour today. And what I would like to do is tell you what I will talk about in the next episode, in episode three. If I could do that briefly, I'm going to have a special guest. Um, I'm going to have Michelle on. We're going to talk about something. I'll let you listen to it and I won't give any spoilers. We're going to talk about something for about 15 minutes. Um, She is a very wise person, obviously. Um, I wouldn't write a book with someone who I didn't respect and I wouldn't publish something that I with someone that I didn't respect. So we're going to talk to her in the next episode. We're also going to talk about, uh, we're going to kind of build on this episode and talk about why I don't like creedal statements and why I think they can hinder us from talking, from understanding, from being empathetic with one another. And for the most part, creedal statements are just another way to draw boundaries around ourselves and others. So that's what I'm going to get into. Um, I would like to again say thank you to everyone who supports me. I would like to say thank you to everyone who has bought one of my books and listened to my podcasts. If you can go to allsetfree.com, that is my website. Connect with me on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter. My Twitter handle is MJ underscore DiStefano. Same thing on Instagram. And if you just look up Matthew J. DiStefano on Facebook, you will find me. Or just click the Facebook icon at anchor.fm slash apostatesanonymous. So, yeah, that's all. That's all I got today, folks. That's all, folks. I'll see you next time. I'll see you on episode three. Everyone stay safe. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Do something kind for your neighbor. <coughs> Shit. My voice my voice is all fucked up right now. It's all this smoke in the air. California's on fire. And my eyes and my throat's been stinging for a fucking week now. So anyway, love you all. Peace and love. Catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs>